BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. A mother of 11, desperate for shelter. We literally had nowhere to go. Ends up living in a house of hazards. Blood dust is incredibly toxic. They placarded the house, shut the house down. But it's what her landlord did next. I thought it was a joke. I'm not even going to lie. I thought it was a scam. That left her on the hook. How many people is he doing this to and then getting away with it? For a home that was uninhabitable. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm your host, Brian Polson, and I'm joined by Open Record's executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hi, Sarah. Hi. And by Contact 6's Jenna Sachs. Hey, Jenna. Hi. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, January 24th for release on Thursday, January 25th. And by the time this episode is released, my latest investigation will have aired on Fox 6 News and will be available for viewing on Fox Local. On its surface, this sounds like an old-fashioned landlord-tenant dispute. It turned out to be a lot more, but I know, Jenna, when you heard I was doing something about a landlord-tenant situation, that's something Contact 6 avoids for good reason. Right. It's one of the case types that we don't handle because landlord-tenant cases can be complicated. They can be time-consuming, and it often involves a lot of he said, she said, and often there's not a lot of documentation to back up. And since we're you know, juggling so many cases at one time, this is just an area we've decided we don't go into. And so when you told me you were doing this story, I think I said, okay, but it it might be a bit time consuming, something along those lines. And it was, we've been working on this now for literally four months, but there was something about this story that was different from the typical landlord tenant case, something that caught my attention and led to this four month investigation. We're gonna talk about that when we come back. This is something I started working on as far back as September. Here we are in January. So what prompted you to even start the the digging into the story? So it started with, as many of our stories do, an email to the Fox 6 investigators. And it came from a woman named Michaela Bell. And Michaela had, uh, she had already, she wasn't, a lot of times landlord tenant cases come from someone who's still in a property and they're concerned about the condition of that property. And their landlord maybe isn't doing the things they think that need to be done. This was a property she, property she already moved out of. But her concern was something that really caught my attention. Uh, She said her landlord had committed insurance fraud. And I thought, well, wait a minute. That's that's more specific. What do you mean by insurance fraud? And she said she had a lot of documentation. So that set off some alarm bells for me. This sounds like it's something a little bit different than the typical case. And I wanted to know what kind of documentation she had. She sent me some of that. Kind of the background is... Uh, Michaela had uh, moved into a house. She and her family, she's got a big family, by the way, Mm -hmm. 11 kids uh, that are ranging in age from five to 25, and then a few grandchildren as well. So she's got a very big family. She was living in a previous home, and I know you hear about this from time to time, Jenna. Mm -hmm. The previous homeowner sold that house. Right. And she had a very, she said she had two days to find a new place to live. Never mind what the law says about that. I don't think they can just give you two days to find a new place. But she felt she had two days or she was going to be homeless. And she is living off of Social Security income, you know, trying to feed all these kids. She doesn't have 
much money. So she had a, a caseworker help her find a new place. And the caseworker helps her find this house, 3046 North 2nd Street. It's the Harambe neighborhood in Milwaukee. And um, she says from the moment she moves in, there are problems. There's uh, problems with, uh, you know, stuff is not put together in the kitchen. The cabinets aren't all put together. There's no working toilet or shower. They had, she said, for the first three weeks to go to her sister's house to use the shower and to use the bathroom. Um, No working heat. So kids are walking around in coats. Um, And she says it took a couple of months to get that stuff resolved. But that's not why she was reaching out. She hadn't reached out all the way back then. She did say, though, that there had been, uh, you know, a lot of these problems. And, and Jenna, I don't know what you, you don't cover these cases, but what's the first thing you would probably ask when someone says, this is what it was like when I moved in. It was terrible. Well, do you have documentation of that? Absolutely. And that's my first question. Do you have mm-hmm. photographs? Did you take mm-hmm. pictures? And and I and I almost backed away because her first response is, well, that's an old phone. I don't have access to those photos, mm-hmm. um, but I have a lot of people you can talk to, my caseworkers, my therapist, others who saw the condition of the property, but already read flag number one that's going to make this difficult. She doesn't have photos of what it looked like when she moved in. Um, she, But again, she didn't reach out about the condition of the property when she moved in. Yeah. She reached out because of what happened later on, and it was actually what happened 11 months later that made this a much bigger issue. So she lives in this property that she says, you know, the power's going on and off, they don't have heat, they've got, you know, all these sorts of other problems, missing doors and other things. But the following summer, so she moves in in, in, uh, in October, uh, the following, I think actually all the way to the following September. So this is 11 months later, her uh, grandchildren, one-year-old and a three-year-old, go to the doctor and um, they end up getting tested for lead. And that's a big problem in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, concerns about living in older properties that have old lead paint. And if the lead paint deteriorates, if it cracks, if it chips, it creates lead dust. And that is very toxic, especially to young children. Well, both of these grandchildren tested for elevated lead levels. One of them was about three times the limit that's considered to be lead poisoning. The other was nine times the EPA limit considered to be lead poisoning. So this was a real concern. And that can be something that causes cognitive challenges. There can be a lot of side effects from that. It can cause learning issues. It can have long-term impacts on a developing brain. That's why it's such a concern in particular for children under the age of five. And here's kids who are one and three Mm -hmm. who are testing with these really high lead levels. And, and the suspicion is it's because of their environment. Mm. And, and I talked to uh, the city of Milwaukee Health Department for this story. The commissioner of environmental health, Tyler Weber, says the number one cause of lead poisoning is lead paint. Mm-hmm. And so whenever someone tests, a child tests for elevated blood lead levels, they immediately go in and they do a health inspection. And when I say a health inspection, it's a really thorough inspection. They come in with, um, they, they do uh, what they call a dust wipe samples and they do a bunch of those i mean dozens of those all over the house and maybe even hundreds of them they also have an x-ray gun that actually will test for lead paint in the you know behind the walls you know because you may paint over it with something that's not lead and you wouldn't see it necessarily and you might not see it but if that surface layer begins to chip then you've got the lead paint that's exposed so they test all over the house out of 300 roughly 300 samples they took more than 200 tested positive for lead, some as high as 28 times the EPA standard for for safe lead levels. So they basically found a house of horrors when it comes to the dangers of lead poisoning. And you've seen, Sarah, the photos that the health department took. Now, again, this is 11 months into her living there. Mm -hmm. 
they took photos all over the house where you see chipping just chipped, and cracked yeah. paint well, then, everywhere. And then that, so after they did the, the surveying and all the samples, that also prompted another inspection from the city. Yeah, so what Tyler Weber says that when they go into these properties that have severe issues with uh, lead paint, it's typically not the only problem they're going to find. But they're not experts in things like heating systems mm-hmm. and plumbing systems and, and other things. So they bring along the Department of Neighborhood Services, the building inspectors. That's who does the inspections for things like, you know, working uh, uh, the, you know, furnaces and and whether or not things are structurally sound and so on and so forth. So they brought in a neighborhood services inspector. And when they looked at the property, they found all kinds of things that weren't right. They found a pest infestation. They found... Um, uh, structural issues with uh, some of the flooring in inside the house. They found all kinds of exterior problems. The porch railing was a problem. And most importantly, defective heating, defective plumbing, defective sewage, and uh, defective electrical systems. I think in one case, they indicated there were uh, extension cords being used as wiring behind the walls. I mean, that's a major code yeah. violation. That's right. not acceptable. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. So they found all of these things. And Michaela tells me when they first came in, her thinking was, and I think this is not uncommon of a lot of tenants who've had concerns about the condition of their property, finally, they're going to make him fix all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. What happened instead is they said, you can't live here. This is not safe. This is not safe for you, for your children, for your family. So you've got to get out. Nobody can live here. And they gave her 10 days, essentially, uh, maybe it's a little bit, might have been two weeks to get out of the house. Within eight days, Michaela's got a new lease. She's in a new place. Uh, a, a caseworker helped her find a new place. It's better. She's still there. She says she's happier. Um, the but conditions then, are better. But then something happened, right? But then something happened that really uh, threw her for a loop. And that's what got me involved. What happened next was a thing she was not expecting. And we're going to talk about that when we come back after the break. So I mentioned that something happened after the fact, um, after she moved out, that really threw her for a loop and got her to call the Fox 6 investigators. Before I tell you what that is, I think we really need to set up uh, an important piece here. You said, Jenna, documentation is often an issue. We know that Michaela didn't have photos of what the property looked like when she moved in. Um, But the landlord of the property, his name is Christopher Knight. Um, I reached out to him early on when she first contacted me, and he said, he told me the city would have records of the condition the property was in when she moved in. His claim was it was in pristine condition. It was tip top. They had renovated, they had done a bunch of work, and this place was in great shape. So it was not the condition she describes. He says, anything they complained about, we came and we fixed within a couple of months. So she says it was in awful shape. He says it was in great shape. What's the proof? So Michaela was living there on a rent assistance agreement with the Housing Authority of the City of Milwaukee also known as Hackam, H-A-C-M. It's typically referred to as Hackam. Um, because it's a rent assistance agreement, they have to sign a contract. The city will then pay a certain amount of rent based on your income and, and number of children and things like that, and you pay the rest. But they want to make sure it's a safe property for you to live in, so they are supposed to do a pre-inspection. They send someone out to inspect the property, and um, I asked Hackam if they had that inspection report, and they sent it to me. If you look at the inspection report, though, it's a series of things that are just checked right on down, just slash, mm-hmm. slash, 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 slash. Like someone came in and just went, yep, 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 everything. There's no notes. There's no descriptors. There's very little of anything. There is a circle around the word average in terms of the condition of the interior and average for the condition of the exterior. 
But beyond that, there's really very little description. There are no photographs taken, no other notes of the condition. And at the bottom, there's a signature for the person who supposedly did the inspection. It's just a looping signature with no name. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't follow up with the inspector who did the inspection to say, do you remember this property? Do you remember what it looked like? You know, what were your, what were your observations? There's no photographs. I asked the housing authority, can you identify yeah. the signature? I mean, you must know, right? It's your, right. It's your, your people. organization yeah. who signs their documents this way. And their response to me was, we don't know. Was Michaela in the house during that inspection with Hackham? Well, the, she says she never saw anyone come through and do an inspection of the okay. property. The only thing that happened is she said the day she moved in. And remember, this was a quick thing. She had two days to find right. a new place. Somebody found, you know, the, the housing authority or whoever her caseworker was said, we've got a place. Go here and check it out. She's so grateful because she's got all these kids. She, uh, This is an aside, by the way. She says she couldn't go to a homeless shelter because she had boys who were over the age of, I think it was 10 or 12. Okay. They wouldn't accept the boys. And she said, I'm not going to a shelter and leaving, leaving my boys them. on the street. Sure, I have to find a place for them or we are all on the street. Mm -hmm. So she was grateful to just have a place to move in. But she says when they got there, the person who came in with her to check it out, she says she looked at it, flipped the lights on and off, said it's okay and left and gave her the keys. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. That's why I wanted to talk to the inspector. Right. And the housing authority says they have no idea who did the well, inspection. Well, so then you couldn't get in touch with the inspector because we just didn't know who it was. So then, obviously, you reach out to the landlord, Christopher Knight. So what was what, that conversation? What, and it was that was that was another reason I started looking into this story was my conversation with Christopher Knight uh, was surprisingly tense. I just wanted to find out, do you have documentation? Do you have, you said it was in great condition. Do you have the photographs? And he told me he was annoyed by having to deal with this. Um, he actually used a different term, but he added that he was annoyed. Um, and I said, look, I'm not doing a story right now. You can make this story go away if you can just show me the photographs that you say you have. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and he said that I, if I just check the city inspection report, that would tell me everything I need to know. As you know, it left more questions than it answered for me. I asked him for photographs. He provided me with just a handful, which we'll get to in a moment. But in the end, he was very clear. He said this place was in great shape when she moved in. It wasn't when she was forced out. He says Michaela Bell is to blame. And that's the main point here is he's alleging that she damaged the property. He's alleging that she damaged the property. And this is where that surprise comes in. So Michaela moves out, finds a new place. She's leaving the old place behind her with, you know, the nightmare that poisoned her grandchildren. She's mm -hmm. leaving it behind her or at least. There's strong evidence to believe it was the house, it was the lead paint, the lead dust that caused the elevated lead levels. So she believes that was this house of horrors. She's moved to a new spot. In January, this is now four months after she moved out of the property, a letter arrives in the mail. And this is the first thing she showed me in her documentation. It's a letter from a collection agency. That collection agency is working on behalf of American Family Insurance. And it says that she is liable for a loss that was suffered by a company called East Town Management and that she is uh, she may be liable for paying it back. Thirty nine thousand uh, dollars was the debt they said she owed. So she is destitute. She is poverty stricken. She is on all kinds of public assistance and she's getting a letter that says you owe nearly forty thousand yeah. dollars. It didn't say much about why. In fact, that first letter said almost nothing about why. So she didn't call us right away. She got 
another letter, and then another letter, and each time they revealed a little bit more. And finally, Michaela said, can you send me some kind of documentation to the collection agency? Mm -hmm. Can you send me some kind of documentation as to why I'm responsible for this loss? This place was a, well, you know. She even said that in your interview with her, she goes, I thought it was a scam at first. I did. She yeah. like, I kind of laughed. Like, I thought, no, there's no way. The first letter saying you sort of you owe $40,000, but not why. Mm -hmm. She thinks that's a joke or a scam. Mm -hmm. Then she keeps getting these letters. This is serious. They're coming after me. But what for? So send me documentation. And she and, and I will say for a moment, I think Christopher Knight underestimated Michaela Bell here because I he said some things in our conversation that suggested to me he didn't think very highly of people who have their rent paid for them. He did not think much of them as being quality people. He did not think much of them as being people who take care of their properties. Um, he was very clear about that, actually. And and so I don't know that he expected her to do the documenting that she did, but she kept all of these records, these letters she was getting, and she asked for documentation from the collection agency. What they sent her was a series of handwritten, um, I guess you would call them repair estimates. Um, they they just have a person's name and the name of a drywall company at the top. And then they list a few other things with some very round figures, 4,300 for this, 9,300 for that. Um, it was everything from painting to drywall to a new sink, a new water heater, a new furnace, replacing electrical wiring. They, it indicated there had been a stolen electrical panel, stolen ground wire. Um, all of this stuff is handwritten. And then there's uh, a, a sheet listing all of the expenses that's typed up by Christopher Knight and his company, Easttown Management. And it indicates that the cause of all of this was vandalism. It's the first time she sees that she's being accused of causing all of the things that were wrong with this house, the things that forced the city to, to make her vacate the property. She's now being blamed. He collects of nearly, I think it, he ended up collecting about $34,000 after his deductible. She's being asked to pay back $39,000, which is what the insurance company, they add in that deductible and say, you're responsible for all of it. And she's wondering how this fell on her. So she's being accused of causing the damage that she says was there when she moved in. That's at least the implication of these collection letters is that you may be responsible. And the letter, the third or fourth letter she gets says, you know, we're not taking you to court, but we can settle this whole thing if we just agree for you to pay 25000 So did Knight report vandalism to the police? Well, that was one of my questions is here's an insurance claim that says, this tenant vandalized the property to the tune of $46,000. That was actually the total amount of his claim was $46,000. Now, mind you, this is a house he paid less for when he bought it. He says he bought this distressed property and fixed it up and put an unknown amount of money into renovating it. Um, but he's claiming essentially nearly the full value of the home has been destroyed through vandalism. And he got a check. I mean, American Family Insurance paid him for this. Mm -hmm. So they pay him. And now they're going after the tenant. So they believe the implication is they believe she's responsible for actually causing this damage. Um, that was one of my first questions to him is, did you report this to the police? And he said, yes, I did. And so, again, part of why this story took so long is I filed a request, an oh, open yeah. records request with Milwaukee police to say, I'd like to see all reports of vandalism at 3046 North 2nd Street. And it took a while for them to get back to me. But when they finally did, the report I got lists, you know, a lot of demographic information and other things. And there's a one page report that was taken by an officer at District 3. And it essentially indicates that Christopher Knight came in in January of 2023. Now, remember, 
I don't know if I said earlier, but this happened in September of 2022, where the city came in, shut the place down, forced forced her out. She had to go somewhere else. They placard the building. It's four months later that he's finally filing a police report. So my question to him was, if you saw $46,000 in vandalism to your property, why wouldn't you call the police right away? Why would you wait four months? Well, there's something else I noticed when I looked closer at the paperwork. The insurance claim was filed in November of 2022. So even the claim itself wasn't filed until two months after all of this happened. And then the police reports filed two months after that. When I talked to Christopher Knight about it, he said, we didn't, the reason why we didn't file the claim until November is I hadn't been to the property until November, which again sets off more questions. Why didn't you visit the property for two months? And if so, how do you know she did the damage that you allege took place? His claim is that she was the last one there. The property was boarded up. There was no sign of a break-in, so it had to have been her. Um, When he went to police, he said something a little bit different, and this wasn't actually in the broadcast version of our story. He said, I don't know who did this, but I suspect it's the former tenant. Um, And I reached out to Milwaukee police, and did you say, did you ever investigate? Did you ask her any questions? Did you go and find Michaela Bell and, and, and ask anything to determine whether or not she or someone she knows or someone of her kids had done this kind of damage? And they had not reached out to anyone. They had not interviewed anyone. They say it is still an open case now a year later, um, but it's not clear if they've done any kind of investigation. From the police record I reviewed, it looks like this was, and, and the officer indicates this much, this was essentially a report for the record. Putting something on file, I say there was vandalism here, and it says his insurance agent asked for an official report, so he came to file an official report. Mm -hmm. He said one other thing in that police report, though, that I think really raises questions about what happened here. By the time he went to police in January, he said, there's no damage left to see. It's all been fixed. And so the police asked, do you have photos? And he said he did, and he would send them later. I have asked Milwaukee police if they received any photos. And they told me it's a pending investigation. So I still don't know if he sent photos of the damage. They say it's still an open case. Um, So I don't know what documentation he may have provided. But the idea that he says it was already fixed. Part of the $46,000 in damage was exterior damage that he claimed. We visited the property since then. There has been no work done to that house. There's still a giant tree laying on the back of the house. The porch is still in in terrible condition. The windows from the outside are painted shut. There are boards. It it doesn't look like anyone's done any work on the property. He's been paid for it. He told police he already did the repair work, but I don't see any evidence of that. Can you give us a little background on Knight? Is he a prominent landlord in Milwaukee? He's not not one of the biggest names, uh, but the city of Milwaukee Department of Neighborhood Services did tell me that his name has become one that's on their radar. Um, again, this is not in the original story that I did, uh, or the broadcast story that we did, but, uh, this department of neighborhood services sent me all of their, um, uh, violations and investigations and, and, uh, the things that they found at his properties. He probably has a couple of dozen properties in the city. Um, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, a little bit less it's somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, so it's not, he's not one of those people who has 200 properties. He's got maybe 20, 25 to 30 properties in the city and they, you know, the number, evolves from time to time as some are sold, others are purchased. Um, But he had quite a number of violations uh, over the years at 
all of, or not all, but many of these properties. So he's got a track record of having various code violations and having orders filed against him. Um, this was not the only property where there was an issue with lead paint. Um, another family member of Michaela's also has uh, rented from this same landlord and had children who tested positive for lead. So, um, but what I found about Christopher Knight that was really interesting was when I was on the phone with him, remember he said he was annoyed by having to answer these questions. He said in that conversation back in September, um, I've got a lot, of, a lot of other stuff going on in my life. We just had a baby and I've got some other of my own. I've got bigger, basically bigger problems to deal with. And I wondered kind of what that meant. Well, when I went to look at CCAP, the online court record system here in Wisconsin, I found that uh, Chris Knight has been uh, facing a lot of legal trouble lately. So he's got this sort of mini rental empire in the city of Milwaukee, but he's in a lot of financial trouble. And just last year, 2023, he he and Easttown Management, his LLC that is the property management company, um, have been named as the defendant in more than a dozen lawsuits, 12 civil lawsuits, two or three small claims cases. So he's been fighting a lot of legal battles. The so okay so and what's the timeline on that again the the legal stuff because does that coincide at all with the, yeah, the insurance claim stuff that's the really interesting thing here and one of the things that i think raises again more questions about this vandalism claim to american family insurance it, as i read uh the the lawsuits that have been filed against chris knight and easttown management involve things like breach of contract with other property managers who he's bought properties with together or um, one accused him of civil theft because he accepted money to manage certain properties and they say he didn't provide those services, but most of them were foreclosure of mortgage. So I think it was about 16 properties that one particular lender, Lima Capital, uh, sued him to foreclose on those properties. And in the text of their complaints, it says that the last payment they received was November of 2022. Remember that vandalism claim I said, occurred in November of 2022. So the last time he made a payment on 16 of his properties, he was also filing a claim to collect $46,000 in damages from his insurance company. I did ask American Family Insurance, why'd you pay the claim? Did you guys investigate Look this? Did it. you yeah. see the evidence that it was in fact this tenant? And uh, what they told me is their claims investigators did a thorough investigation. They issued payment. Beyond that, they won't comment. Uh, because it is a client of theirs and, and you know, that they consider that confidential information. So East Town Management, do they have a headquarters somewhere? Did you go there? Yeah, East Town Management has an office that is listed in Elm Grove, and that is where Chris Knight lives. Um, it's in a, an office building with various offices on the first and second floors. And, and we uh, went to pay a visit there because I will point out, I talked to Chris on the phone in September and um that's the last time I spoke to him. We emailed a couple of times and then he stopped responding. And part of why that happened is because of, we talked about documentation. Um, Chris sent me photos of what he said was proof that Michaela Bell and or her family had actually done vandalism to this property. He sent five pictures. Two of them were a before and after of a bathroom. The photo before is a bathroom that looks like it is, you know, there's tile in the shower, uh, you know, wall, and there's a, a regular bathtub there. Um, you know, it looks like it's in good condition. The toilet's in good shape. The sink is, vanity is attached to the wall. The second photo that says it's labeled after shows vanity has been ripped from the wall. There's a hole in the wall. There's garbage all over the floor. Um, it looks like someone has destroyed. I mean, this looks like vandalism, like someone came in and tore stuff out of the walls. Um, and he said, that's all the proof you need. 
I think he said, I think the email said, these photos speak for themselves. But when we looked closer at the before and the after, the shower tiles were a different shape. The flooring was a different color. And I even looked at something as as detailed as the shower head's location. If you looked at the shower head in one photo, it was right at, coming right out of the wall, right where the tile line ended. In the other photo, it was about four inches above the tile line. And so I asked Chris, I said, do you have photos with the metadata in there so I can see when and where they were taken? The latitude, the longitude, the time. Every time you take a photograph with your phone, it records all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I had questions about whether these were authentic phones, whether this was even the same bathroom, or at least when were they taken? He's saying one is before when she moved in, one is after when she moved out. I wanted to see that. He never responded. I explained to him the discrepancies we saw in the photos. He never responded. We paid him a visit to his house. He didn't answer the door. Um, and then we went to the business. So I went to Easttown Management. It's in the basement of this uh, this office building. And it's just a small office, very, very small office. The shades were drawn. The light was on, interestingly. I asked the person across the hall, and he said he rarely sees the guy um, in, in the office there. Uh, but I knocked on the door. No one answered at Easttown Management. I did see something interesting we didn't have in our story. And um, it, it turns out that I can't say whether it, is anything to be concerned about or not. But as I looked across the hall, literally right across the hall from Easttown Management is an American Family Insurance Agent office. Um, And it made me, they're physically that closely related. And I already had questions about why would the insurance company pay this claim when there are so many questions? They say they thoroughly investigated. I did ask American Family about the proximity of the two offices. And they actually told me that particular agent did not handle this claim. So- while it looks suspicious, they say there's nothing to see there, but he didn't answer at that office either. Um, and ultimately, he sent me an email and said, don't come to my office or my home anymore. Um, I'm not going to comment. Were you able to help this family? Did you make a difference in her case? Well, after all of the confusion and the difficulty in trying to prove what you know you talked about from the beginning, the he said, she said nature of all of this, I still wondered how could the insurance company have considered her to be responsible She's never been taken to court over this. Police weren't told for four months and police never interviewed her. On what were they basing? American Family paid the claim, but on what were they basing her responsibility? And I'll tell you what happened with that when we come back. So as we talked about from the start, landlord-tenant cases can be really messy. And this one was a really super messy case. Um, The question was, how could the insurance company hold Michaela Bell responsible for a $40,000 debt when there is no police report saying that she committed vandalism? Police never even talked to her about the vandalism. There's no court case that says she's responsible. I do also want to say an ad just is she uh, Michaela's in good standing with the housing authority, right? She is, like she at, yeah. paid her rent on time. Yeah. She was never behind or anything. It, the housing authority uh, does have these contracts and and uh, she signed a waiver of privacy to allow them to give me this information. But the housing authority was paying literally 99% of her rent mm-hmm. because she has so many children. The math calculation they do on her very paltry income, uh, they paid 99% of the rent and she was responsible for literally $39 a month. Mm-hmm. Now you might say, and I actually had someone else say to me, what's the point? Why have her pay anything? There are certainly some who say, if you've got a stake, mm-hmm. if you've got something, yep. you have a piece, there's more of a responsibility. And right. Michaela, from the records the city has, 
she paid every month. They say they have no record that she ever missed any payment. Mm -hmm. She has no evictions on her record. She has nothing, no property damage on her record. So this is not someone with a history of not paying her rent, a history of being a problem tenant. She has a pristine record when it comes to that. Um, And here she was being told, you've done immense damage to this property and you have to pay for it with no police report, no court record, no court hearing. And she's just wondering, that's why she came to us. How can I be responsible for this? So I asked American Family Insurance that part. And while they said they thoroughly investigated the claim, they did say they are going to discontinue the collection against Michaela Bell. And she said, I'll believe it when I see it. So when she got the letter in the mail from American Family Insurance, she invited us over to be there when she opened the letter. And she opened it up, and sure enough, it said that they've discontinued the collection effort and that the collection agency has closed the case. So she is not on the hook anymore for that $40,000. What's interesting, though, is, you know, you've been in a lot of these resolution situations where someone is just overcome with relief because they've been released from something. I wondered how she would react when she opened the letter. And there wasn't as much overwhelming relief as, okay, good. Now, what are they going to do about him? Mm-hmm. And she was still up. She's still very upset with Christopher mm-hmm. Knight because she feels this whole situation came about because of what she believes was fraud. And I want to be clear. There's never been any criminal charge. There's never been any criminal conviction. Christopher Knight has not been accused of or convicted of committing fraud. But these circumstances for Michaela Bell scream fraud to her. Um, I did find, and I want to point this out, I did find at least one other company that says they believe Christopher Knight has been, uh, has made false representations to them. So I told you that he has all of these foreclosure actions and other lawsuits. Chris Knight is in debt more than $1.5 million when you combine all of these cases. And he told uh, many of these, uh, or told the court in many of these cases that he was planning to file for bankruptcy. In December, he did. He filed for Chapter 13 bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy, not his company. Mm-hmm. He filed for Chapter 13 bankruptcy, and that immediately puts a stay on any collection efforts against him. The court said you haven't filed the proper financial paperwork, schedules, and all those things, so if you don't do that, we're going to dismiss this case. And sure enough, beginning of the year, he hadn't filed the stuff. They dismissed the case. The collections can begin again. Oh, right. Now he's telling the court... He plans to file Chapter 11 instead. Is that a stall tactic? Is it legitimate? I can't say. I don't know. But in the Chapter 13 case, there was a letter that came from a company called Eagle Movers. And Eagle Movers owner Tom Britton said that he and his company had moved moved Chris Knight and his family to the house he currently lives in in Elm Grove. It's a $500,000 valued house right now. I think he bought it for $370,000 when he did. Um, He said he had a lot of stuff. It took a long time. There was a $4,000 bill at the end of this. And he says, Tom Britton says, Chris Knight gave him, his crew, an invalid credit card. They ran it. It was no good. He says he's tried to reach him. He said 35 times since then, won't return any of his calls, took him to court. Then he wrote a letter to the bankruptcy court saying, this guy has been intentionally evading me and evading payment on this bill, he believed it was fraud and that therefore the the bankruptcy court should not allow him to be be protected by that. When he found out from me, by the way, that the bankruptcy case had been dismissed, he immediately went to court and secured a judgment. So he now has a judgment for money against Christopher Knight, but he felt he was misleading and disingenuous as well. Again, never been charged with, never been convicted of fraud, but certainly Michaela felt that that was what led to her being held responsible, at least now, 
she's off the hook. Did reporting on this story leave you with any other questions, maybe about Hackam and yeah, how they handled this? That's a great question because we didn't talk about this in the story at all, but I think Michaela is also upset with the housing authority because they didn't do the documentation on the front end. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's obviously grateful for the rent assistance. And so it's hard to speak out against a place that is paying your rent and, and keeping yeah. you in a house. Yeah. But she's concerned that they didn't do the front end work to document this uh, initial inspection, to take the photographs, to indicate even who did the inspection so you could follow up and find out if they had recollections of certain things. Um, she felt they dropped the ball. And because of that, it left this landlord in a position to say, look at the yeah. inspection report. It says everything was fine. And now look at it at the end. It must have been her fault. So she did have a problem with that as well and says that she really thinks they should be doing a better job to document on the front end. And I think that's a good time for us to go off the record, which we will do when we come right back. And it is time to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual and have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And of course, here to ask us that question is Sarah Smith. It's me. Um, okay. Quick show of hands. How many have a bucket list, like a life bucket list, things you want to do? Before your time here on earth is done. I feel no. bad that I don't have one. I always no. feel like I should. I mean, okay. there not are like things... a literal one. Yeah. But like in your head, you're like, I really want to go do this. There are things right. that okay. fit yeah. a bucket list, but okay. I've never created one. Right. All right. So yeah. this is going to be the opposite. Instead of a bucket list, we're going to talk about an anti-bucket <sighs> list. What is on your list of things, stuff you would never do in a million years, and you have no desire to ever do it in your lifetime. Bungee jumping. That. I'll just say I, I, that I, right I, away. I, I was going to say, I'll bet heights are involved in most yeah. people's. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't need to jump off of any a perfectly cliff. good something. No, I don't like um, heights. It's not so much heights. I don't like ledges. Yeah. So like even in like buildings with balconies, I don't uh, like leaning over the balcony. Do yeah. you ever see those videos of the like the real daredevils who'd be yes. like on a skateboard Burr. on the edge of the top uh, of a building and you're like, like they're mountain are bikes. Of, like, gonna right. Yeah. Or they jump off and they're gliding with their yeah. suits or whatever. Right. No, no, thank you. No, nothing that involved. I could do like a zip line or something. I don't know why that's okay. different, see? but there's something about the falling. I have no desire. All I picture is like snap, up, up. right. And I would never do it at like a fair. Have you ever no. seen those at a fair? You're like that was on the interstate an hour well, ago. So this is my wife's going to kill me because you know she's like you got to quit talking about me all the time. But, <laughs> um, but we went to Mexico and uh, you know they have the adventures. You want to go on an excursion? Yeah, excursion. Maybe we'll go four wheeling and whatever. So we and she is not big on heights, but she was like I want to be adventurous. I want to try things. So we went to do a zip lining tour. And first of all, you're not, you know, OSHA isn't working on these yeah, things. We're not in the true. United yeah, States. Yeah. So you don't know what kind of regulations there are and what kind of inspections are being done. But we went to a place where there's like uh, a series of escalating mm -hmm. zip lines. There were seven. Mm -hmm. You start with a longer and, and lower one, but then you go to the tallest one, which was 700 feet in the air. That is taller Sounds than the St. Louis Arch. So to give you an idea. And the thing is, what's below you? Well, as we're going over yeah, the top just... one, you look down and there's like a concrete ravine in the middle of cool. it's like a, a river or something. So you look down and there's just, I mean, it's like you see the ground from 700. Now, I am a thrill seeker. And so I would bungee jump. Yeah. I haven't, but yeah. I would do it. And I, the the, uh, the instructors said something like, uh, you know, if you want to hang upside down, because they had someone go with you. If you want to hang upside down, you're connected here. You can just let go. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And she watched me and thought, you're nuts. Yeah. 
What are you doing? Oh. Well, she did not have as much fun at that. So I don't know if she wants to do that. She again. didn't do it. She did. No, oh, she, she did. did. But she hated did, every minute. But she no. said she will never do it again. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So no, I that uh, I, that seems like a nightmare to me. I wouldn't want to do it. Although I will say, when I got to Fox Six, I scaled the side of Lambeau Field when I started here. Oh. I did that. Um, we what was the, it was oh, the, the, I yeah, repelled. Yeah. yeah, I did yeah. that. I was that was a lot for me. But I remember looking down and seeing pure concrete, Just nothing but. Hard nothing surfaces. but concrete below yeah. so i was that's out of character for me that i did that even back then but something must have happened in the last 13 years <laughs> and it's no longer of any interest i don't to know me. yeah my equilibrium isn't the same i swear right so and every time we do something like that my husband's like oh it's fine it's just an exposure like yeah. you can do this and i get up on a step stool and i'm like Ugh. so what what's your uh, um i won't anything do. with coconut like i don't need to go to a coconut tasting experiment or I don't know. They have coconut tasting experiments. I don't know, but if they did, I'm not. It's not on my bucket list. Coconut's the worst. It is um, the worst candy. Any candy that has coconut. But, Wrong. But I mean, is it? It's it's the highest on your list of things you won't do. Is, is uh, eat coconut? It's pretty high. What if you're stranded on a desert island and there's that's your food source? There's coconuts. That's it. It's nice knowing you all. Like, are you okay with like the flavor? Like, uh, like no, a no, drink for the flavor? No? Okay. All right. Yeah. So I don't know. Pina coladas, um, not eat, absolutely no? not. No, okay. I don't know. I mean, it, it's a lot of like. Um, That's okay. I drank all of them on my last vacation. <laughs> you so there's none there. left. You drank there's them none left. Them. <laughs> Thank you. You're doing us all a service. So you and your husband met from a song that went. If, if you, you hate like, pina yes. colada, like, okay, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I would, but I would agree. Jumping out of things that are perfectly fine, like a good plane. Why would I jump out of it? I also like. I'm a big roller coaster fan, but I there's love something roller coasters different to me in my head about roller coasters. The thrill of that, I love it, and I will scream and I will laugh and it will be great. But You're man, yeah. it's the whole like bye bye. For me, it's anything that's like claustrophobic. Ooh, so like, yes, okay. I see these videos of people doing these cave exploration. Oh, just no. going into a cave. Oh, now I, is I don't do that. Yeah, well, Those it's are when fun. you have to like. But crawl, crawl through, really through something to get to like the better part. Nope. No, yeah. will not you know, do that. this is a very, very, very junior version of that. But there's a place in St. Louis called City Museum. If mm -hmm. you've ever been there, it's it's a fantastic, oh, really fun good. place. Yes. But they do have some spaces you can crawl into that are really super tight. And if you're claustrophobic, it's not great. I'm not claustrophobic by nature, but even that was a lot for me. Plus, it also kills your knees. <laughs> well, speaking of like destinations have you ever seen those videos of is it sears tower or something oh, where people right. are falling on the glass and they yeah. can lay kind of yeah i, I like lay down call it and... the sears tower because i still will always oh, call, call it the sears tower yeah, I mean, we'll call yeah. it the willis the tower, willis tower. You yeah. where you're do, they like drop mm -hmm. you down and you can look down on the city like tilts yeah oh i'm yeah. getting heart palpitations or like don't they do it. something like that grand canyon they have like a glass floor thing i just you, you know what, what's right. funny about that is i i'm part of what helps me get through those is the idea i tell myself they wouldn't let the public do this if this hadn't been checked and inspected and tested. I'm an investigative reporter. I know how many times these things aren't up to snuff. I should know that. That's better, what I'm saying. I, and then I would be the one person who is like, too much weight. I'm sorry. You're the 58th person to come. No, all gone. Right down. So Did mine is uh, is like the height stuff and the thrill-seeking things don't – I feel like I could work myself up to any kind of thrill-seeking adventure. Um, now, I don't want to be in a cage with sharks outside. I don't care if that yeah. I don't. That doesn't like that. interest me yeah. at mm -hmm. all. But the one, do you remember the show Fear Factor? Yes. I was Joe Rogan, actually, was the host of that. Yeah. And, and, and I, and like, they'd be eating all sorts of exotic things. Uh -huh. Number one, I have no desire to eat any super exotic, <laughs> disgusting <laughs> stuff. Nope, I'm good um, with the current Anthony diet. Bourdain, when he would go around and eat the most he disgusting. Ate everything. Uh -huh. yeah. I wouldn't, I don't want to eat the intestines and whatever of various things. I don't care. I don't care how much I don't of a delicacy. 
yeah. that that is not of interest to me whatsoever. But the one I absolutely will not do, and I feel like you talked about exposures earlier. This would be like the ultimate exposure to me. I do not ever want to be covered in spiders. Oh, ever, 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 ever. <laughs> for a movie, horrible. for a million dollars, no. Not even a million dollars? No. Why? Million that dollars. should be nope. a question. What is? Would no you, one? for a million dollars, I think I could do it. <laughs> I would hate every second of it, but I would be loving it after the fact. Nope. I would be fine. Just continue to go about my merry way without the psychological trauma and scars and the eating, PTSD. Like eating the bugs and stuff, that's not so much of an issue. It's the bugs when they're alive that I can't do it. Just, they're Eat, like way too live small yeah. and they're too many legs and they're too fast. I just picture them like, oh, it's the the one pregnant bug. That's the one you ate. And oh, then I have like bugs in. <laughs> I don't even know if that's how it works. What but. is the most like exotic thing you've eaten? <laughs> Coconut? I, I mean, no, no. I don't. <laughs> I think the thing that comes top of my head, it does sort of like sushi, but it's it's called uni, which is sea urchin. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And is that like an eel, basically? Or sea urchin is like, it's like if you look it up, it's like a really pokey looking it's like a spiky ball kind of thing Ew. right I, sure <laughs> but inside is, is but inside orange. Is the meat it's orange oh, okay. yeah, yeah it's it's good i feel like fried like seahorse or something would be really good like just a little crunching on some little seahorse have you guys cute. eaten escargot uh no i've not which is snails no i have not i think so that's maybe that's another thing have you had that is it good Mm, it's okay. slimy. Okay. It's kind of yeah. It's 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 fine. It's kind of chewy and garlicky, and it's I don't really seek it out. Well, anyway, that's enough of those things. Uh, we are gonna wrap things up here when we come back after our last break. Well, if you have a topic you would like us to discuss on Open Record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox Six News, please send us an email to Fox Six Investigators at Fox well, you guys, thanks for another week here. And now I have thoughts. Now I'm going to go home and think about being covered in spiders. Cool. Um, you're you get to think about jumping off a building. I'll think about um, eating some snails. Like. There I you love go. It. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, including our executive producer, Sarah Smith, our editor, Dave Machuda, and our chief photographer, Manning the Video Switcher, Kale Zimney. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.